0: It can happen.
1: it's what happens in the
0: pod stays in the pod. No, I'm not going what people that. say in the pod stays <laughs> in the pod.
2: Right, you ready?
0: Yeah, alright, I'm going into pod mode. Okay. Hello,
2: this is The End of All Things with me, Rob Cutforth.
0: And me, Kate Feld.
2: What have you been doing today, Kate Feld?
0: I've been talking. I've been talking and listening. All my activities have involved students. talking and listening. Mm-hmm. Students. I did a journalistic interview earlier. Mm. Um, yeah. Making dreams come true. I guess that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Journalism. People taking what the taking them young, fresh people out of high school and molding minds. And hopefully, hoping they don't turn into Piers Morgan.
0: Yeah, I don't think he went to journalism school. Did he not? I would be surprised if he had. I think he just sprouted fully formed. Did he? From?
2: What, from like a bud in Oxford or something?
0: (laughs) uh, Yeah, let's just say somewhere perhaps even worse than that.
2: Yeah, like a sewer pipe. Right.
0: (laughs) All right, we've we've started by thoroughly insulting Piers Morgan We should alienating all of the Piers Morgan fans and there audience. aren't any actually yeah you're, you're right there no. probably aren't who like who is a fan of piers morgan that's what i want to know i don't know
2: because it seems like people on both sides hate him like the people on the right even they don't care for him too much um i wouldn't know well yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> because he uh, he was still like he's, he's pro-gun but he's just a prick of the highest order the guy... Right, okay, this is one thing. I'm just going to say this and then we'll get out of the way. Okay. I do not understand this about Britain Yeah. This man, he was at an editor of a newspaper. Yeah. Left that newspaper. That newspaper got busted for phone hacking and I think went bust. Started yes. at another newspaper. Left that newspaper. That one got done for phone hacking. I don't think it went bust, but it's still, like, you know, massive big deal. And now he writes for... A company, the Daily Mail, who is so bent that the Wikipedia has banned it as a source.
0: Oh, really? I yeah. didn't hear that. Yeah. No way. Well oh, no, I think they
2: did it last year sometime. Yeah, if you really, you, yep. Daily Mail articles don't you can't, <laughs> you can't use them because they're bullshit. Wow. So this is the man. This man, you would think, should be in prison, but he's not. He gets his own show. If that's not a, an indictment on how corrupt the British media Listen, is, I don't all I
0: have it. to say is read the article in the New Yorker. Either this week or last week, about the guy who made the show The Apprentice, mm-hmm. um, the, the sort of king of reality television, who's Trump's best guy, who um, essentially built his presidency, made him viable as Roger a candidate. Roger Stone. No, 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 no. The, the, I think he's called Burnett, Burnett, something like oh, that. Oh, Mark
2: Burnett. Yeah. Yeah, the survivor guy.
0: Fascinating, fascinating profile of him. Mm. Um, that basically shows exactly how he manipulated, you know, all the footage of Trump and, you know, because he he wanted to make money. Yeah. So, you know, in the course of like, if it wasn't for that show, he would not be president like that. It's pure and simple. That's it. Yeah. Um, and so it's just people are stupid. And when someone becomes a brand in that way, (laughs) They don't care. That's no. all they care about, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah everything's yeah. a brand. Nobody cares about anything. I'm not a brand. Yeah. <laughs> brand What no... would that be like?
0: Oh, <laughs> let's not go there. Yeah.
2: yeah. If a punch in the mouth could be a brand, if you could brand <laughs> a punch in the mouth. No, well, that's mean, isn't it? It seemed cool in my head, and then I thought, after I said it, I was like, no, well, that's not very nice.
0: Yeah. Well, it pleases me though that that you in, in, instantly went to punch in the mouth mm. with me.
2: Yeah. And I
0: feel like that's somehow successful. Okay, then I'm right. Yeah.
2: yeah. I've I've hit gold.
0: My my brand has force, is what you're yes, saying. Yes, that's right. It's a forceful brand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely is. is. Excellent.
2: Mine's not so not as forceful. I don't think. It's 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 just kind of smarmy.
0: No, it's like it, it has a force, but it's a sort of uh atmospheric force (laughs) it's like it's like the force of of kind of incrementally rising um curmudgeonliness
2: it's like the uh, prevailing winds of curmudgeonliness
0: it's like the rain that kind of flies up into your face oh yeah you know what I'm saying yeah
2: yeah I think I think that's worse than a punch I think I'd rather get a punch in the face than sustained rain in the face
0: (laughs) Yeah, but which one is going to be more deadly, though? <laughs> Probably I'd go with the sustained rain.
2: If it's just one century. punch.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, it depends on who it's from. If it's from Tyson, you're toast. This is the dumbest <laughs> start to a podcast we've ever done. I don't know.
0: I think it's it's actually quite interesting. But it doesn't have very much to do with writing. So no. I don't know. Perhaps we should talk about that. Maybe. Yeah.
2: I think we're out of practice because it's been quite a long time since we've done one of these.
0: It has, yeah. And...
2: Uh, Largely due to the fact that you were ill for a while, and then I was ill. Yep. So, the end we of, had
0: Christmas. And
2: we had Christmas.
0: And, and we was, did lots of stuff. You were really ill. I was
2: massively ill. Then
0: I was away, then I was piled, I was buried under a piled marking yeah. for, for like two weeks and couldn't move. Yeah. Um, and now here we are. Yeah. And it's so, January.
2: I know, almost February.
0: Wow, almost February. In, In right. fact, when this comes
2: out, it might be February. Depending on how busy I am at work this week, I'm gonna. I will try my damnedest to get this out end of January.
0: I'm so pleased, though. Like, do you know how much that means to me? What to, to be thinking about the fact that February is almost here. January sucks.
3: I think February. I'm worse. so happy
0: January is over. Yeah. No. for me, February, because in March everything, like the, it's so much more light. Yep. it's So much warmer. Spring starts in March in Britain for sure. Yep. Um, I've been swimming in March, you know, outside in my swimming suit before. So, like, for me, February is like, oh, this is, you can you can ace this last bit, mm. you know. January is like, oh, you're still staring down the battle of, like, some serious winterage. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. And there's nothing like a Brit- British winter either.
0: There is nothing like a British winter.
2: I never yeah. thought I'd hate... Zero degrees so much as I do in Britain. I don't know what it is. They say it's zero degrees. I'm like, no, wait a minute. I, I Where I come from is minus 40, and it, it doesn't feel as horrible.
0: As... It's the damp. Yeah. It's because it's so dry where we are, where we're from. But, you know, we've been getting a little bit of snow in Ramazadam. The other day, I had to not just scrape off my car, but also brush snow off it. Holy shit. And that was such a good feeling. Yeah. Like, And I realized wow, I, have, I, I know I have this like, inherent ability to deal with snow in a car so effectively mm-hmm. that I have not been able to use. Yep. Like I, I have skills. Mm. I have serious scraping and brushing skills <laughs> that have been going to waste these many years. So I get so excited to use them. How have you cultivated
2: these considering you haven't had a car for about 800 years?
0: Because I grew up in Vermont. They have cars there? Was, yeah, they have cars there. Darn right they have cars there. <laughs> and I had to learn this. I had to deal with snow in large quantities on my car from the moment I started driving.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Pretty much until I left when I was in my, well, late, the end of my 20s. Well, so
2: you don't know what the fuck snow is, lady. Do you know what? If you were from any other state, I would say that. But you actually do. Vermont gets shitload. I really do shitload. know what snow is. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's the the weather report. Okay, good. Uh, You know what's funny? What? I I just realized I pulled this out because I've got this sheet of questions. There's no, not questions, but topics to talk about. Talking points. Yeah, and I think the listeners, I've mentioned it so many times, you know, that I need help remembering things because I'm old. I've just realized I've taken this out as well. What's and that? you will get a kick out of this.
0: Uh-uh. Let me see it.
2: See if you All right, can let's just see what let's see, just, Wait, wait. Oh, look.
0: Huh? Oh, my God. So you're doing the park run.
2: Yep. I'm a runner.
0: You, have you done it yet? I've
2: done it four times.
0: I did not know that you were doing the running. Wow, nope. that's exciting.
2: No, I, do you want to know why? Why? Because I had to stop cycling so much. Because I was psycho commuting and I go through the fallow loop. Oh, right. And I get threatened by bloody yobs all the time. So, yobbs. I, so I stopped. So I thought, like, fuck this, I'm gonna do something else. And then I, st- I just stopped doing everything. And then I got fat. <laughs> and now I have to uh, get rid of it somehow.
0: Well, running is very good. Yeah, guess what? what?
2: I disagree. Oh, you hate it? Why am I in pain all the time? Like, my knees are shot.
0: Oh, well, that's just because you're old.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I went to it. I you gotta, you got
0: to start. St- you have to start strength training. Mm-hmm. In in condition, like in addition to your running.
2: I know. I've been told that. Yeah. I had a sports massage.
0: Oh, did you really? Yeah. How yeah. was that? Fucking
2: painful, man. I've yeah. Never had one.
0: Are, are you kidding me? I used to have to have my, myofacial release all the time, which is like intense, where someone goes in and like just yeah. completely houses your muscles.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it was the, this uh, um, very young woman, and I thought, I've heard about sports massages. I heard they are painful. And I thought, she's not going to be able to oh do something God, too yeah. badly. Fuck me. Yep, yep. I've never been in so much pain.
0: Yeah, they're painful, but then you feel amazing afterwards. I, Did you I, feel amazing I afterwards? was okay. Okay.
2: I was expecting more.
0: Oh, really? Well, <laughs> yeah. you can't just do it once and expect it's going to sort everything out. Mm. You have to do it a few times at least. Right. Yeah. Maybe I should do that then.
2: Should we talk about some writing stuff now?
0: <sighs> I kind of feel like we're putting it off in this I know. Way. What, why. Like, I think maybe we're a little shy, because we haven't done this in a while, and we're like... Yeah. Yeah. Do we remember how to talk about writing, Rob? I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe
2: we should stop, stop this as a literature podcast and change it to a bullshitting about the weather and running.
0: I kind of feel like people wouldn't listen to it then. They may not actually be listening to it because... They're learning things about writing and yeah. and and the kind of literary world. But they're telling themselves that that's why they're listening to yeah. it. Yeah. That's why they're choosing to listen to it. Yeah. So...
2: Maybe we should test it and see if we could just talk about anything and see how long it takes before they all abandon us.
0: I kind of feel like that's what we've been doing, Rob. I know, me too. For like a year. Okay, let's talk <laughs> so, about writing. Yeah, let's talk about writing.
2: Um, you... Well, there's a couple things we've got to talk about. There, we don't have anything political today for the first time.
0: Well, we've already started off by having... Dissing. Any... Yeah. Yeah,
2: but that's just random. Okay. And I mean, listen, we're preaching to the choir. Nobody likes Piers Morgan.
0: Nobody likes Donald Trump.
2: Yeah, but we've not done any literature, any polit- political literature stuff. Like political dissing the TLS literature? or, you know, what we usually do. Oh, yeah. Well... I'm just getting angry at someone that wrote something. We haven't had
0: any literature rants, is what you're yes. saying. Liter- literary world rants. That's right. Okay.
2: Um, so we're, this is, you wanted to talk, you're taking some course at the moment.
0: Yes, I'm taking a course with the poetry school, which offer really good online courses. Yep. I took one last year in the winter when traditionally I have a very difficult time motivating myself to write. And it was really good because I had someone every week for a while giving me specific assignments to do. And they're all really interesting. And there are things you you have to read and think about and discuss that are very thought-provoking and cool. So I thought, okay, this is a good thing for me to do, and I'm going to do it again. And it's making me write poems. Whoa. Like, with line breaks.
2: See, you said that, and you said that's weird. I thought uh, poems all have line breaks, don't they?
0: Hell no. No, no, no. They're
2: not written in a single line.
0: Okay, let me let me break it to you. Um, Lame. Like yeah, no. A lot of poems now. I think when people think of poetry, they think of something that has rhymes and line breaks and a specific meter and all of that stuff because we were taught in school maybe that that's what poems supposed to look like.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But no, now mm, a lot of people don't do it that way, mm-hmm. and they write prose poems which are, you know, we've, I think, talked about before.
2: But those have line breaks in them, don't they? No. No. Oh, right. They're just written, oh, right, well because it's prose.
0: It's, well, a lot of them just look like paragraphs or a series of paragraphs. Oh, right. Okay. Yep. Some of them will be just, like, one sentence, one sentence, one sentence. Some of them have all kinds of weird formal stuff going on where line breaks isn't really a good description of it because there's stuff all over the shop. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, like, they're, and a lot of them just kind of... Yeah, like it's just not, it's not a kind of poetry I've ever tried to write. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Really. Um, So it's it's cool because I feel like I'm challenging myself to do something.
2: So are they doing it in like iambic pentameter No, no,
0: not any, I don't, by the way, I'm choosing to do these this way. Mm -hmm. I don't have to do it this way. You can do it any way you want. So this is not part of the assignment. No, it's not. But I think that's what, that's perhaps the expectation is that, a significant number of people in the course will be doing that sure because that's kind of how people do (laughs) so you know So i'm trying it anyway it's cool and i think that i wanted to just talk about that because um i wanted to see if you had ever tried i remember when you tried writing that poetry in in the middle of that your manuscript yeah um and you talked about how much you like that. Yeah, it was good. How but it felt really weird at first, yep. right?
2: Yeah, totally weird. Me and poetry have never gotten along. Um both writing and reading really, but I, I think it's I'm getting more and more into it. I wouldn't say I I'm certainly not good at writing it. Yeah. But um I get it now a lot more than I used to. I understand, you know, how much how difficult it is. To write something in so few words, like to to project something, like a, an idea or a feeling or whatever. Yeah. In so few words, I mean, it's quite, it's difficult, but it's also, it's I think it helps you in your other writing as well. Yeah. Because I think most people, especially, I mean, you, you tend to be verbose, really, you're putting it down a thousand words and falling in love with your own writing, whereas poetry didn't allow for that, I don't think. No. Well, I, I suppose it could. Well, it's, it's like some yeah. of it, it's like lyrical, lyric poetry or something where it's massive, but... Yeah, I don't know. I have very strict ideas of what I think a poem kind of is, Okay, but only so when you said it's got line breaks, I just thought well, all poems do, don't they? Ah, uh, okay. So, yeah, so clearly I'm, even though I'm you know, in my 40s uh, I'm uh, still kind of figuring out what a good poem is.
0: Sure. Well, no, I mean like, I think I think I expect to still be doing that when I'm Like in my 90s, even if I keep, you know, it's just like, it's one of those things where I think the thing that dissuaded me from, that put me off reading even poetry for a long time was the perception that it has to be a certain way. And if you don't like that way or it doesn't appeal to you, um, because most of the poetry I'd read, you know, was fairly old and some of it just didn't do it for me that was written that way, then you don't like poetry, You know, it has nothing to offer you. And, like, of course, that's ridiculous. Um, But I think that a lot of people, perhaps, because of the way poetry is taught in schools and the way they're exposed to it earlier in their lives, like, end up with that in their head and have this bad association with it and just then don't ever revise that or question that. Mm -hmm. And why would they? You know, nothing has made them. If nothing makes you... Mm -hmm. Uh, do that, there's no reason you, you should. Yeah, you, you know? have
2: to seek out poetry. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like poetry is going to come your up with life life the Life is not surrounded just and, by yeah. your, your beautiful words.
0: No, it's, but, you know, it, poetry is one example, but I guess it's cool to try a different kind of writing, whatever form or, or way of doing it, something completely out of your comfort zone mm-hmm. from time to time because, I don't know, I just feel like I... It I don't
2: feel like poetry is out of your comfort zone. Me? Yeah. Is it?
0: Well, I mean, this kind feels really out of my comfort zone because I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. No idea. I feel like poets who write... Poets, you know, good poets, um, have this kind of understanding of what you can do with words in this way that I will never have or it's like they can see qualities or relationships that I can't see that Mm -hmm. I'm not privy to somehow Mm -hmm. you know and it's frustrating for me it's really frustrating for me Um, but I don't know maybe everyone secretly feels like that you know I have no idea Mm -hmm. but that's kind of but I think me being frustrated and feeling cut off from that is actually pushing me to kind of like find out more about it and see if yep. I can understand it better because it's hard. It's probably the hardest kind of writing there is like that I've encountered, mm. like at least for me to, to get my head around yeah. Like the, the most challenging.
2: I suppose it depends on what you how you define challenging. You know, like a novel is a war of attrition, whereas yeah, you know, poetry is right. you, whereas I think with poetry at the end of the day. It can be really short,
1: mm.
2: so it's difficult. Like I, I can, sure I can, I get that it's difficult, but the idea of you know sitting down, I, I have more difficulty sitting down and writing like every single day to get like my words down, yeah, in order to have this big work at the end of it. Uh, whereas with poets, poetry, it's still like I, 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 I I'm not sure I'm entirely capable of writing a, a good poem, but. It wouldn't take near as long. Oh, do you think so? I don't think so. Oh. No. See,
0: I I said it. Okay, listen. I kind of feel like for you to write a really good, really short poem, which in many ways is harder than writing a a good long poem, Mm -hmm. um, you might well sit thinking and trying stuff for a year and... Have a pretty hard time. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like every... that's such a
2: foreign concept to me. I just can't even fathom it.
0: Oh yeah. Like I think that my because my work's been getting shorter and shorter mm-hmm. almost. So I could just kind of feel like maybe I'm hung up on. And I'm you know well I'm working on a longer project now, but it's in fragments. So I'm kind of I don't know doing doing both of those things. But anyway, like I just think there's so much so much labor and thought goes into really excellent short poetry. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I who knows? What do I know? Sometimes people just like fart out an amazing poem mm-hmm. in an afternoon and they're like, "Hey, all right. Yeah, job done." Yep, you know? <laughs> I'm sure yeah. it does happen like that sometimes, but I don't know, there's a lot of rigor and a lot of labor that goes into Writing these poems that I that kind of scares the shit out of me, to be honest with you.
2: Yeah, I'm more. I'd be more scared because I'm such a practical is not the word. but I just think I'd be more scared that no one would read it. Really? Yeah.
0: So yeah, it's interesting. We've talked about like that doesn't. I know that scare doesn't faze you all. at all. No,
2: you don't care if it's just you and. It's not
0: that I don't care. Of course, I want my work to reach people. Yeah. Um, who doesn't want that? you know what yeah. I mean but that's not why I do it yeah you know yeah yeah yeah
2: no I get it totally
0: so yeah so trying different kinds of writing cool yeah. thing to do like throw yourself into script writing or you know it, it, don't do things the same way all the time which kind of leads into another thing we were thinking about
2: ooh what was that
0: you like this thing you're talking about about being aware <laughs> of your own yes little
2: foibles I suppose is the word
0: your own, the danger of repeating your own kind of personal shtick. Yes. In writing.
2: Yeah. Um, I think that was, yeah. Basically, what this is coming from is a conversation I had with Kate earlier about a, an agent actually called me for my book. And um, didn't take it on. <laughs> I have to quickly say. But she gave me some very good advice. And she wants me to resubmit. Um, we don't often talk about our own work on this very often, but I thought it makes a good point in that she gave me some advice that I had never been told before and something that goes against everything I've ever been taught. Um, and that is she wanted me to write more um, in this novel. Like I think the novel is whatever it is, 80,000, 70,000, 80,000 words. Mm. And she said for a, a novel of this kind, you need to write You need to, you need to, there's more that has to happen here. And she gave me very good points of which, what needs to be expanded. But the idea of everything I've ever read about writing novels or, you know, going to school is that um, it's about writing down what you, getting everything out and then cutting. Mm -hmm. Editing is cut, 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 cut. Get it down to the bare bones where, uh, and she's this is the, it's one of the first times And she's not the only one. There's another Mm -hmm. agent that said the same thing that said that this needs more um, development, especially uh, in certain areas that I'm not going to talk about. Okay. Obviously. But whenever I read novels and whenever I don't like a novel, it's when I think it's too long. Yeah. So I I always have that in the back of my head. So, but, you know, so for someone to say we want more, it seems ridiculous. Like, you know, I don't know if you've ever read Stephen King's On Writing?
0: Yeah, sure.
2: What do you think of that book?
0: I thought it was great. I liked it. Do
2: Do you think it gives good advice?
0: Um, It's a long time since I've Mm -hmm. read it. All I remember is The Boys in the Basement, which I really Mm -hmm. love and think about all the time. Yeah. Um, You know, and I think we've even talked about it on the podcast before. Yeah. Um, So that was about the unconscious and the work it's doing. But, like, yeah, I don't know. Why? Does he say quite short or something? His
2: his advice is when you, the first thing you should do after you finish your first draft, your second draft should be two-thirds shorter by the end of it. Wow. Yeah, I know, random, right? But I, that's something that's always stuck into my in my head, because I think most people have a tendency to write too much.
1: Mm.
2: You're often told that it's all about cutting and getting it down. My point was, you should get if you're when you're doing your writing. If there's anything I've learned from this whole experience, it's that tailored advice to how you write mm. is the is the most is the best thing you can have. Yeah. So somebody that reads your work, like we've we talked about this a hundred times, like writing groups, I think are a hundred times better than any kind of book you can read on how to write, mm-hmm. uh, which is obvious. But it's also identifying um, bad habits that you have and making sure that those don't have uh, and getting those, what's the word, expunged? Is that a yeah. word? Yeah. Uh, and keeping an eye out and, do, and looking out for the bad things that you do while you're writing.
0: So in... So how could you put this into action? You know, like, so we're talking about this one specific habit you have of perhaps editing as you write, keeping it quite succinct?
2: I'm, I am I'm think the opposite of that. I think letting myself go a little bit more in the first draft.
0: Oh, okay, and then cutting the fuck out of it. Yeah. Okay.
2: Because I, that's one of my, that's, I, th- I think that's why it takes me so long to write things, because I'm constantly editing and doubting Okay. every fucking word I, I put down. So you,
0: do you... So do you write and then edit, like, the day before and then write on kind of thing? Or what's What I have been practice? doing and how
2: it's changing, what I have been doing is writing. Uh, I'll, I'll write something freehand. Mm. Uh, and then I'll type it up. I'll take that, that work. Like, say, I, I write, whatever, 10,000 words. Then I'll type that up. And in the process of that, edit it. And then I'll move on to the next bit. When I'm editing, I'm cutting that. And then, but a lot of times that'll mean I'm rewriting stuff and then typing it out again. Oh, God, that's an
0: incredibly laborious process. Exactly. Yeah.
2: So now, basically, what I'm doing is I'm just writing uh, a huge amount and I'm not stopping myself. So I'm I'm kind of making sure that I just get the words down. Yeah. And then I'm going to go through and do like a complete second draft. With fresh eyes. I think that's
0: what most people do.
2: I don't know. See, I, I, who knows? Well,
0: I mean, Rosie writes by hand and types it up and yeah. changes stuff around, I think. but um,
2: Writing by hand, is I, I can't do it any other way for the first draft.
0: Oh, really? See, I'm...
2: There's too many distractions on I'm, the internet.
0: I need a keyboard. Do you? Yeah, I really do.
2: No, I can't. It has to be, it has to be pen and paper because if I don't, YouTube is always calling my name.
0: Oh God, no. No, for me, it's, I think, well, because I've been writing my whole life is my main job. Mm-hmm. And for me, I need it to be unconscious. And using a keyboard is like unconscious for me. Writing by hand is actually, like I do it every day, mm-hmm. but my handwriting's terrible.
2: So what um, who else is going to see it?
0: No, but sometimes I can't read it right, oh, right. Is what I'm saying. Okay, that's very bad. Yeah, no, no, no. This is what journalism, this is what being a reporter will do to your handwriting. Right. Okay. Like it's just terrible. Yeah. Um. So, and you know, I think my I cannot keep up with the, how fast I write in my head. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a fast typist, but there's something about the way I've been able to adapt my writing to the keyboard and seeing it on the screen that I just it gets my head into the right zone, yeah. you know?
2: Yeah. And I think it's it's a good point that you say that because you were writing your as a job. My job's been dicking around on the internet, really. Yeah. So, So yeah. obviously that, I'm very good at that.
0: Yeah, yeah. Too good. No, when I'm really writing, I'm not at all tempted to, like, break it. I just want to keep oh, going. Oh, I do.
2: My, when I'm writing, I think of any excuse not to do it. I find it quite a difficult and painful experience a lot of the time. I
0: get so engrossed in it. mm that I could, like, something could happen, like, something could explode next to me, and I'd probably just be like, Really? What was that? Like, yeah, really. I'm really, like, I get really out I'm of it. I'm looking at
2: things hoping they explode. So I can yeah. stop fucking writing.
0: No. <laughs> it's funny.
2: we I, we never really had this conversation. We haven't. It. It's funny. It's isn't very it? basic, yeah. isn't it? Wow. Yeah. Have you got any bad habits? Or do we want to even talk about that? i kind of changed my mind about that now.
0: Bad habits with my writing. Hmm. Um, yeah, one is working and working and working on something yeah. and not doing anything with it, not progressing it, not finishing it, not, you know, I'm kind of a perfectionist. Yeah, like everyone's like, oh, mm. my problem is I'm too big of a perfectionist. Yeah. It's like, yeah, fuck off, you know. I, used to, I tell you I
2: used to work, sorry, side note, Yeah, did I tell you I used to work in HR in the old days? Oh, right. And whenever someone said that, we would just... Rip their resume up in front of things
0: and yeah, their face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No one do that. No, well, but you might as well. It would go in. The it's bin. such a cliche. Yeah, but I think that I'm, I'm not happy with my writing a lot of the time. It's not doing exactly what I wanted to do, mm-hmm. you know. So, um, I kind of think to myself, okay, this is good. It's got some juice in it, but I'm gonna put it away for a while and see what happens. And mm-hmm. sometimes you have to do that. But, like, you always have to come back to it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? And sometimes I don't. No. Um, And, yeah. So, it's, like, for me, the trick is knowing when to leave something be and knowing when to come back to it. But keeping on myself to kind of, because I can go drift off in a cloud. I love writing, or not love it, but I get so engaged with writing Mm -hmm. that for myself or just because I like doing it that, I can just go off on a cloud and do that and not think about what's going to happen with it, yeah. if anything. The
2: other thing is because a lot of your fiction is so short, I don't want to say you can it, you can afford to throw it away or not yeah. come back to it or leave it for a while and come back to it yeah. after you've written. Like you get excited about something else, you can write that and then come. Well, back that's to what
0: i oh, That's the way I have. Adapted to writing. Right. Um, because when I started writing, I was a mother of two small children and working a bazillion jobs. Mm-hmm. And what I had was re- like little short bursts of time. So I started writing really short stories, you know, and like, so that's how I adapted. And when I started writing essays and poems, like, you know, that adapted well to that. You send a few out, they get accepted, great. But now that I'm working on a longer project, I can't work that way anymore. Yeah. And it's really, really throwing me for a loop because it's I have to change the whole way it changes the psychology of my my writing so much yeah (laughs) so yeah
2: (laughs) I've got um one of my biggest bad habits I have a voice in my head really that says if I try to do anything that's even remotely poetic in the, the novel the voice goes who the fuck are you
0: asshole? Oh, that's bad voice. It is. It's, it's like what the voice. fuck are you doing? Yeah.
2: So like it's certain things and this has come up with agents as well that where a uh, description of it's like scenery black. and stuff. Yeah. Like a description when I'm describing scenes and stuff. It's very short and to the point and a lot of times they want that expanding.
0: I think yeah, you have to be willing to make an ass yes. of yourself. I know. Yeah. And with uh, your writing. Yeah. Like commit to Making a complete jackass of yourself. Oh, I've
2: done that. Yeah. Believe me. <laughs> but
0: in this Mate, I self published
2: and sold it to my mates.
0: <laughs> I know, okay.
2: I know what making an ass of yourself is like. I know,
0: but like, but make, there are different ways of making an ass of yourself. Yeah. This way of making an ass of yourself, which is the one you're particularly scared of, is the sin of kind of like what writing purple prose, or yep. kind of like over egging the pudding That's or right. whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But just go for it, you yeah. know? Do
2: you know what I've been doing recently as a kind of an exercise? What? Because I'm reading um, Philip Holman's his Dark Materials. Oh, so good. We've had, it's funny. We've had this conversation before. Yeah. Like, I've, I was so No, I think t- the last time we talked
0: about it, I was like, you haven't read it. You just need to read it. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Then we can talk.
2: Yeah. And I'm a yeah. YA snob. And I always have been.
0: Yeah. You were like, oh, I don't know. It's yeah. It's I actually children. had to go
2: to the YA section and buy it. And I thought, like, it, the children's section of the Waterstones bookstore. And I thought, oh god, I feel like a dickhead in here, but I got it, and holy shit, it's good. Yeah. But anyway, if there's, I've never read anybody that can write um, action and des- and describe scenery uh, and describe scenery. That's such a horrible way to put it, but to to describe scenes and and um, you know without sounding like a dick, like it's yeah, per, it's, it's the very perfect elegant. yeah, perfect perfect balance between poetry and actually telling the story. Yeah. Um. So basically, what I've been doing. Is taking bits of his work out of it and swapping my characters in it and just writing it about my his way about my stuff just as an exercise? I'm not okay, putting it in good. the book, trust me, do not yeah. do that and put it in the book. But it, yeah. it's just to get kind of in the to figure out how to do how he's
0: doing it, not just how
2: he's doing it, but how I can find my own way of doing it.
0: Wow, that sounds like a really cool exercise, it's
2: brilliant. It's really good.
0: You know, when I get really excited about a piece of writing, I have to type it up.
2: Because
0: mm-hmm. there's something about doing that. Like, a short piece of writing. Yeah. Um, that helps you understand how it works. Um, it's like taking apart a car. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you, you can see all the parts then in a way that if I just read it, I can think, oh, okay, well, that's good. But it's harder for me to think, why does that work? Um, you know, if I just read it. Whereas if I there's something that happens if you make your mind write it you, you need to write it out by hand or type it I suppose but somehow the mechanism gets into your head and you appreciate it even more I think yeah um, yeah these are good exercises
2: I think yeah 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 it's kind of opened my eyes and I I've just started doing that and when I read something that I really like um, writing it down just so I can come back to it later and say and you know analyze it and see I should have done that. Like, I mean, I, was, I took a Master's of Arts in Creative Writing, so I've kind of done that stuff yeah. before. But yeah, as soon as you get out of university, you just think, that it's done with that no, shit. No,
0: you have to keep yeah. doing this all the time. Yeah, I know. Like, that's the thing is that I, I mean, you have to really study writing. Like, yeah. great writing. And it, the cool thing is, it could be anything. It could be what's classed as young adult fiction, although I think yeah. that's ridiculous with those Pullman books. Because they're obviously for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be articles, or it could be, you know, shorts. Like it can be whatever, but you just have to keep not just consuming reading as a kind of escape, you know, which I think a lot of people do. Yep. You have to be actively studying it, engaged with it, mm-hmm. intellectually. You yeah, know?
2: and I think more, I think yeah, definitely, and I do that as well. But my, you forget though, don't you, when you're reading something? I can't. A lot of times i think, oh, wow, that was amazing. And then I can't even remember how to find it when I go back to the book again. So I find, because I don't know where the fuck it is.
0: Well, pull the freaking page right oh, down, man. Jeez. Yes, okay, fine. How hard is that? Get yourself some colorful little, like, bookmarky things. Mm. You know? Yeah. Those little bookmarks? You know what I'm talking about. I know
2: exactly what you talk, you're talking about. Yes. Those little
0: stick sticky note things.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think we've had a good chat.
0: I think we have. We, t- we did some... We got off to a slow start with the whole writing talk thing, but yeah. we managed to talk relatively coherently about creative writing for quite some time.
2: Yeah. Um that so yeah.
0: real Vermont accent there. Did you hear I've that? I've heard it a couple times. Quite, I was say, quite some time.
2: I thought, you said, I thought you sounded Canadian, like Newfie, because you said well, care the car to the burr.
0: Yeah, I'm not a million miles away Yeah, from, it's funny from how you, got, you guys have yeah. a bit of that. Yeah, we do. Dirt yeah. my
2: car to the burr. Right, so okay. funny. Um... Anyway, so that's us finished now. Um, this interview is going to be with Sean O'Brien. I, I almost feel like I have to apologize to him because the interview was so long ago because of our illnesses. Don't but, apologize. Um, I don't,
0: Sean O'Brien will understand. He won't
2: even listen to it, so who cares? Um, <laughs> Sean O'Brien, he's, uh, if you don't know who he is, what's wrong with you? He's a poet, playwright, novelist, short story writer, won loads of prizes, interesting guy. Um, we have a very good chat. Uh, a little bit of a I, warning, I suppose. We spoke in a quite a busy coffee shop, so there's loads of, like, salespeople around us, because it's during the day,
0: and, you like, said that phones, in such a withering way. It, yeah. Salespeople.
2: Salespeople. You know, people, there's like...
0: There's nothing wrong with salespeople, though People. people like,
2: no, but, like, you know, like, estate agency types.
0: Oh, estate agents, well. Yeah.
2: <laughs> you know, like, in, in, like, shirts and ties and... You know, mobile phones with, like, the, the... I call the, them
0: shirt sleeves. That's yeah, what I call them.
2: shirt sleeves with their mobile phones that they can't bother to change the ringtone, so it's the regular ringtone that comes with the fucking phone. And believe me, you get to hear that a few times in this interview. But it's worth it. I'm sure um, the
0: setting adds something to yeah. the conversation. Oh, yeah, of course it does. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's not annoying at all. It's it's atmosphere. That's right.
0: It's a it's a setting. Probably. Okay, it's a setting. Right.
2: Okay. So that uh, so it's Sean O'Brien, uh, he's great. Listen. Um, do you want to start by uh, talking about the the book itself? Obviously, um, you, I thought. Before I met you and before I did some research on you, I thought you were a, just a poet, I th- not like just a poet, I thought you were a poet, um, basically, I didn't realise there'd been you know,
3: screenplays and um, all kinds of other things, so, but why short stories? Uh, well, I don't know, since I'm around 2000, 2001, Ra Page of Comma, which was then really just getting going, asked me... If I'd be interested in writing a short story for a book of short stories by poets, I think it was, and I was, and, um, and having done that I could see the possibility of, of writing more, especially things that lean towards the fantastic and the supernatural, which doesn't really have an outlet elsewhere in my work, uh, and at the same time some friends and I established this twice yearly events at the Literary and Philosophical Society Library Newcastle where we read ghost stories that we've newly written to the live audience there. So many of the stories in both my books, this is the second book of short stories, derive from writing for that purpose. Mm. So the library has at times figured in the stories, which is why it was interesting to read in the portico Last night, another library it seems to be full of narrative potential. Mm. <laughs> Whatever that means, <laughs> with its you know slightly sinister staircases and yeah. um, its bandaged books. Yes, yeah. so.
2: that's spawns two questions immediately. First one is, what is it about the supernatural that you're interested in? And two, why can't you write a supernatural poem? Do you find it's not as accepting the poetry crowd?
3: of weird stuff? I think it's... I'm interested in supernatural short stories partly because one or two of my favourite short stories come from that realm. as Elizabeth Bowen's ghost story masterpiece The Demon Lover, Mm. set during the Second World War in a large house on the edge of Regent's Park. And it's a story about a revenant, so that really interested me. And also, um M. R. James's story, Whistle and I'll come to you, mm-hmm. about a middle-aged professor going for a solitary archaeologizing, botanizing holiday on the East Anglian coast and getting more than he bargained for. So mm-hmm. I like the I like the economy of that kind of ghost story. And as for the supernatural, uh, you can write supernatural stories, or I can write supernatural stories at any rate, it seems to me, without having the great historical and political burdens that the novel, the realist novel, tends to bring with it. So in a sense, it's kind of time off for me. Though I, t- I write them as seriously as I can, but I'm aware of the fact that there, there's a certain kind of uh, entertainment is emphasized. Perhaps more than in some other places. Yeah. And not being a believer, I find the supernatural very interesting. Mm. Do you being, think being to an agnostic? Mm. Yeah.
2: Do you, when you say uh, a non-believer in the supernatural or non-believer in, like, a, in a religious sense?
3: Well, both. Um, yeah. Yeah. But Do you I'm, think
2: anyone is a b- real believer in the supernatural?
3: Oh yes. Really? yes <laughs> Members of my family. I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a place in a house we used to live in years ago when I was a teenager. There's a place on one of the landings upstairs which made me uncomfortable. There's something I didn't like about it. And I'm just mentioned it to my mother and she said, Oh yeah, it's a cold spot. And I said, What what's a cold spot? She said, It's an area in a house that's just got something amiss with it. Mm. And she was a very rational, well organised, professional person, a head teacher, not in the least sentimental or flighty you know but in her upbringing it had been accepted that there was a dimension of the supernatural Mm -hmm. living next door and indeed amid the everyday yeah I like that it seems to me imaginatively exciting yeah and also uh,
2: the fact that that supernatural bit is in a a place that you are very familiar with and recognize I think that's that talks there's a lot of stories in your book that um that have supernatural elements but they always have or usually have one foot in the real world if not both feet mm. in the real world do you find that an important to uh, well, in all, the,
3: in all the writing I do in poetry and in fiction um, place you know fairly solidly and evocatively rendered place is very important it's part of the subject of what I write about I guess in poetry um, so that I'm not very interested in the kind of spooky tale that doesn't really have a world for the supernatural to invade. You know, I don't like the kind of story that turns out to be Scooby-Doo. Oh, it's scary, you <laughs> know, it's all run about for a bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I prefer something that's more three-dimensional and more solidly carpentered than that because the contrast between the solidity of material existence as far as we experience it and the invasiveness of a ghost a revenant, a vampire, a werewolf, whoever you can think of. The mm-hmm. contrast is what animates the story, I think.
2: Yeah, so like, it's, is it also the, kind of the darkness of it that attracts you to it?
3: Cause oh, I, yeah. Because
2: there's definite darkness in this book. Yeah, it's not a re- as far as I'm
3: concerned, it's very rarely a redemptive form. Mm. A lot of it is about comeuppance, <laughs> either, either deserved or... For, you know, casual. You know, where somebody's just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and something befalls him. Usually him, occasionally her. Yep. Uh, or else somebody pays for their sins. You know. I mean, I spent several years doing a verse translation of Dante's Inferno, so I got quite interested in the appropriateness of punishments mm-hmm. that Dante imagined. You know, that it's not always clear why these particular punishments are appropriate. You know, but. Somebody who is a betrayer somebody who 's a betrayer is buried upside down with their face on fire, and that 's what happened to people in I think medieval Florence mm. and Dante drew on this image to deal with people who had betrayed the state, the city, their allies, and so on. Um, and there's a story in which somebody ends up in that position because he's betrayed absolutely everybody, and uh, he's lured out to an island in the in the Venetian uh, archipelago. It, that
2: you can see uh, parallels between that and your story, the Sea God, I think. Um, I, get, I suppose the question with that one in particular, because the, the main character is a lecturer in... in uh, is, is it actually creative writing or is he just a lecturer? I can't remember. But it's interesting that he's, he gets his comeuppance, but I'm not entirely sure if he's done anything to warrant that sort of punishment.
3: No, I don't think he has really. I mean, the only thing he does is tell one very small fib out of curiosity. He finds a notebook in German... He needs to translate it, and he doesn't tell the person he borrows a dictionary from what he's doing with it, and that's a very small fib of a kind almost anybody is capable of, but the ramifications turn out to be pretty grim from his perspective. In fact, if
2: he would have told them then about the book and found out why it was written, he probably would have been okay, because yes, he would have found yes. out early enough for the, the fair, anyway. <laughs> yes, too much. Yeah. But yeah, that's interesting. Um, the other thing that came out of your talk last night, which surprised me, is that you're not actually a Yorkshireman. You weren't born in Yorkshire.
1: So no, I assumed you were. That's, no, it's yeah, another yeah, one of those yeah. things, right? No,
3: well, people do, understandably, um, mm. because I grew up in Hull, which is in Yorkshire, kind of. <laughs> and. Um, but I was born in London in, on the borders of Hammersmith and Holland Park. But my parents moved to Hull when I was too young to know about it, so to all intents and purposes, you know, Hull was my hometown. I've mainly lived in, the, lived in the North, lived in Brighton for a few years, but by, by and large it's been Hull, Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Do you,
2: it's a story, the reason I bring it up is because you don't often hear of a family moving out of London into the North, Um, certainly not uh, in any sort of narrative sense but not even in a literal sense it just just is something that you never hear of so I I find it interesting that like what would have compelled your parents to move away from London is it were they minors
3: (laughs) no they um, it was probably easier for me to be looked after by my mother's extended family than to find somewhere to park me during the day and so my grandmother had a big hand in my upbringing. My mother was a teacher and so on. So I think that was the reason. Um, it seems an odd thing to have done. Nowadays, people are having to do it involuntarily. Mm-hmm. They can't afford to live there. But London at that time was a very mixed and dynamic and interesting place, socially mm-hmm. rather fluid in some ways. Mm-hmm. And I go back there. I go back to that part of London and I've written a book-length poem about it called Hammersmith, which is coming out in a couple of years' time, mm-hmm. about war, post-war, history, politics, class, the river, mm-hmm. and Richard Widmark. Oh, interesting.
2: That's, a, that's another thing that, that's in a lot of your stories as well, is the war.
3: For anybody my age, I was born in 1952, and anybody a few years younger than me, the defining element in the climate of our lives was something we hadn't experienced, which was the war. It had taken place before we came along, but it was still immensely present psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, politically... Financially. Financially, in the material material appearance of parts of the country. that Hull, the city where I grew up, suffered something like 90 percent housing stock damage during the Blitz, a fact which was not publicized at the time, in order not to damage morale. Um, so it's very war-torn and I grew up, you know, in a city full of bomb sites that stayed there until the last one was probably only cleared away about ten years ago, and we played on them, you know, they were sort of wild gardens where properties had been felled and now fireweed and other stuff grew on them. You just, When you were a kid, you just explored it. But it's also the fact that I think there was a possibility, and this doesn't come into my writing about my short stories at all. There is a possibility that there was going to be a big transformation of society, a social revolution, which was kind of half fulfilled. And then people grew exhausted. And we gradually moved to the condition in which we now find ourselves. So it's both. Thatcherism. Yes, Mm yes, yes.
2: Yeah, I think, um, I I know very little about Hull. No,
3: it's not much visited. Yeah,
2: as a person from there, what would you say to people to say, come to Hull? What is it about Hull that...
3: I say that I found it a fascinating city. It's very green, there's a lot of green space. It's very flat, it has huge skies, and an atmosphere that I won't attempt to describe all its own. And it's bigger than people think. When I was a kid, it was about 310,000 people, which is very big by British standards. Mm-hmm. And now it's about 250, so it's still a big city. And it was the third biggest port in Britain and had the biggest fishing fleet alongside Grimsby, which is across the river from Hull. Mm-hmm. So it was a, a significant place, but it's also at the end of the line. It's cut off from everywhere else. You know, it's. Um, it's a remote settlement and uh, that's one of the things that makes it interesting if you keep going after Hull you just come to the sea mm-hmm. and then Norway yeah, Denmark anyway. Denmark, sorry <laughs> <laughs>
2: my European geography is <laughs> terrible but I should never actually try to guess um, Yorkshire is also a place that's you know, full of writers basically um, you throw a dart and you hit one go on then <laughs> you, is, there, is there something about the, the area itself that you think is, is it, is it a, I don't know, I have my own kind of thoughts about how it, you know, the, um, how difficult it was, the difficulty and the beauty of the surroundings kind of together, but there's something about Yorkshire men and women that yeah. is unlike anywhere else, and I, I don't know what it, about that spawns
3: writers. Well they always, Yorkshire people will always keep you clear repeatedly that it is an exceptional place <laughs> and they themselves must therefore be exceptional and in some way better, which is very tedious, you know, and um, you try, if you, if you live there you try not to indulge it either in person or as an kind of audience to it, but it is the biggest county in England, so I guess statistically mm-hmm. in some way it's quite likely to produce writers. But it, the most interesting writers it produces tend to be, well, they're quite varied, but they're often of a quite dramatic kind, like the Brontes, or like the, the poet Ted Hughes. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are probably the most famous literary Yorkshire people. And then you have realist novelists like David Storey and Stan Barstow, and Barry Hines, mm-hmm. and others who wrote about working class life in such a way that compelled a middle class readership to actually recognize that it existed and Mm -hmm. was subject to the same powers and compulsions and desires as their own. So they've contributed a lot and also uh, dramatically somebody like John Godber is the most performed playwright in the world I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's very lively and and Tony Harrison, a great Yorkshire leads poet, Tony Harrison, a great classicist, a great scholar of Greek whose work is in many ways about the division between him and his background which was created by the opportunity to educate himself, you know, yep. the crisis produced by education. Mm-hmm.
2: I uh, I did a coast-to-coast cycle ride and we stopped at a place to eat just on the other side of the Pennines Yeah. and uh, they were, it, the restaurant we were in was advertising Yorkshire hot pot Oh, dear. And <laughs> it said, exactly like Lancashire hot pot, but made in God's country. <laughs> and I thought that's the most Yorkshire thing I could possibly imagine.
3: Yes. Yeah. yes. Uh, I suspect it's not quite as bad as it used to be. It used to When cricket was more important, when county cricket was more important, the Roses match was a really big deal. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah and, and the fact that there are two big football teams are both crap at the moment, I suppose, has a, another bearing on that yeah. humbling. Yeah. Yeah. But as soon as one of those, oh sorry, three sorry leads people, um, yeah, one of the, as soon as one of those are back in the Premiership, I'm sure we'll hear more. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, just to change gears completely, yeah. is um, the fact that you are not you're not afraid to get your things published by independent publishers. You mentioned your the relationship you have with Raw and Comma Press, but you publish things with Bloodaxe, you publish things with all kinds of. You're, you're, there's no snobbery, I think, as, as far as.
3: What you, where you get your things published. Are you a champion of independent publishing? Well, I think it's a good idea that there is a diversity of publishers. And 15 years ago, there wasn't as much in that way as there is now. There were big independent poetry presses like Bloodaxe and Carcanet, for example. But no, I mean, I, my poetry and my novels are published by Picador. The short stories, as it happens, have been published by Comma, who stimulated them to be written. And I used to put work with Bloodaxe, and occasionally still do. And plays are published by whoever publishes plays—Matthew, or you know, whoever it is these days. Mm-hmm. So I'm not—I don't feel confined to a single outlet. It's also the case that quite a lot of, you know, main commercial publishers have very specific. Briefs as to what the kind of thing they want to publish. So mm-hmm. they don't really want to publish literary criticism, for mm-hmm. example. Understandably, because nobody except literary critics reads it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think creative
2: nonfiction is another one of those sorts of things in the in the middle. Prose poetry as well, I suppose, is right? yeah, things like that. Yeah. That probably I'm not sure they would get published if it wasn't for independence.
3: I think uh, Penguin have been quite encouraging to some of that. Do you? The Penguin have you know, sort of reanimated their poetry list, and they have a quite adventurous uh, policy. You know, lots of stuff that you might not have found under the Penguin imprint 20 years ago is now there,
2: mm. which is interesting. I wonder if it's been spawned by a, a response to the like, independent
3: publishers gaining popularity. To a degree, I think that's likely. I think mm. it's likely. And also a sense that the sense uh, that the performance end of poetry has commercial potential. Yeah, I think that's part of it too. Yeah. Um, the other
2: question I always ask on this podcast is uh, about how a writer survives, basically, especially now. It seems it seems harder than ever for, especially new writers. Um, have you got any advice for someone who's just starting out? Where's the money?
3: <laughs> well, if I knew that. <laughs> um, I think it's difficult and my own experience has been that you know I was a teacher for several years and then I started freelancing and taking creative writing fellowships in universities here and elsewhere and um, and that assisted while I developed a kind of freelance income in my case through doing a great deal of book reviewing in the national press mm-hmm. and other journals as well. Uh, that's not so easy to do these days. There's less of it, it's not as well paid as it used to do. And it's exa- and there's more people interested. Yeah, it's exhausting if you're committed to it yeah. and you get to a position where you're getting quite a lot of offers. Yeah. It is very time consuming, so you need to be young and have boundless energy. And, mm. and I'm doing less of it these days, sure. partly because I think it's uh, there's less opportunity but also partly because I've written about 500 book reviews and that's probably more or less enough for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, do you think, I didn't mean to say yeah to come out with like a yes, no,
2: but um, do you think that they, they kind of, because there's so many books as well, do you think reviews kind of get lost in the shuffle except for the people who write the books? Certainly
3: I think that getting attention serious thoughtful attention is very difficult you know Mm -hmm. Uh, it sets a combination of luck and a lot of hard work yeah i did a few years ago i was asked to um one of the scottish universities to a conference on on creative writing and i was asked something a bit like your question i said you have to bear in mind that the thing that the world doesn't need is more writers you know it needs more readers yes so you have to make your own opportunities somehow mm-hmm. and I worry about some of the people graduating from writing courses with MAs and so on or even PhDs who may have a slightly innocent sense that now they're going to be able to make a living and it's more difficult than that. You have to do you may have to do all kinds of things. You know. Yeah. You may never be able to live completely by your writing. I think the number of people who do so is declining. I think you and can count on two hands. The, um, you know, there's a tiny fraction of the writing population who are tremendously successful economically and then there are people who kind of live respectively and then there's everybody else who's mm-hmm. kind of, um, you know...
2: Work full time and fit it in when they can.
3: Yes, and although that's not necessarily a bad thing, you know, to have work is not necessarily a bad thing. You somehow got to negotiate to have enough energy to go on doing it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd be interested, I probably won't be around, but I'd be interested in 10 years' time to see what that landscape is like.
2: Mm. Um, Yeah, gig economy, (laughs) as they they like to call it. I'm of two minds, but it's a big conversation that I and I'll get really annoyed talking about it just because I think that it's, it just seems to be like this, uh, this brand that politicians have put on it in order to pay less
3: That's mm. what it seems like to me really. Yes. Mm. The atomization of the workforce under late capitalism.
2: Yep. Oh, we're on the same page, my friend. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last thing I'm going to ask you is what are you writing now? And can you, t- you mentioned uh, the, one, the, the one piece that's going to be out in a couple of years. Yeah, is there I, something
3: that you, that's coming out sooner than that? There's a book-length poem called Hammersmith, which mm-hmm. I mentioned, which should be out in two thousand and twenty. And also in two thousand twenty, a book of essays about poetry mm-hmm. called Dreams Are Licensed, mm. which is being published by Liverpool University Press. So mm. it's it's an academic publisher, but the book is intended to be in a readable English. Mm-hmm. Uh, It's just essays I've written since I last wrote a book of essays about my various poetic obsessions. Mm. Uh, I'm also working on a further book of poems. You know, God knows when that will be out, ever. Uh, (laughs) And I'm working on a novella, a horror story set in Newcastle in 1913, Mm -hmm. which is to be published by a very small specialist press in a tiny edition in Newcastle, for the fun of it.
2: Mm. that's the, When you say for the fun of it, that, you're saying that not, that's not the name of the press. No, it's called <laughs> the
3: Side Reel or Sidereal Press. Mm. And it's run by a guy mm. who just is very interested in the, the bizarre and the gothic tale. And from time to time, under his imprint, publishes something. Mm. And lastly, not quite lastly, I know just starting work on a verse translation of a Spanish Golden Age comedy by Lope de Vega. Jeez. Which you'll be calling The Sicilian Courtesan. Uh, so that'll be a verse translation from the Spanish. Yeah. That's what I'm doing about. Wow. A lot. Yeah. In, um, in short. You're a long time dead. Huh? hmm
2: David Lee Roth. Live while I'm alive, sleep when I'm dead. Anyway.
3: <laughs> How's he doing? <laughs> Yeah,
2: that's great. Thank you very much, Sean. I You're really welcome. appreciate it. you Thanks a lot. Okay, so that was Sean talking about interesting stuff as usual. As usual. I, I'm speaking like he's been on the podcast before.
0: That's all our guests. Too. Well, I'm sure he, he talks about interesting stuff as usual in his life. Yeah. That's his probably his default setting. Yeah. Interesting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. He is an interesting guy. Uh, anyway, you got anything to plug? No, no plugs. I have one thing to plug. What? It's nothing for me, but okay. it's uh, this very interesting thing. Um, former pod guest, Joanne Harris.
0: Oh, I saw this. Do yeah. You guys, uh, do,
2: do, do, do you have you heard what it is?
0: The band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: She's coming up to the Waterside I Arts. thought that looked
0: really cool. Yeah. yeah.
2: I got it. They come to me and give me a
0: free ticket. Oh, sweet. So yeah, well tell people tell the people what it is.
2: Okay, so basically it's Joanne Harris, and she's coming up to with her band to do story time type story songs. Story time band. Story time band. So they're singing songs. She plays the flute and sings, I think. And um, I think there'll be some readings and stuff. I, I don't actually know that bit. Is there going to be some kind of literature? Well,
0: stuff? I think that some of the songs are something to do with. Her, is it a st- short story collection yeah. that she has coming out? It's hard to tell
2: with her because she produces so much stuff. Yeah, she does. She had like I think when we she was on the podcast, she had three books out.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's crazy. Um, yeah, she's but amazing. I think it's a, one of those things that combines music and fiction. Yeah. Um, but it sounds fascinating. And she's wonderful. So, so it's coming to sail when? Can't lose. No, it's not on my piece of paper. Oh, my God. Uh, Sail Waterside. Okay.
2: Right, what you do, yeah, is you Google Waterside Arts. And you know what? And when I edit, I'll put the date in. How about that? Friday, the 1st of March, 2019, at 7.30 p.m. Be there. Okay. All right. So that's it. Bye. You can say bye.
0: Bye.